Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hello, and welcome to episode 30. This podcast, we're going to be talking about safety for the elderly and the aging. You know, this is such a sensitive subject for people. I know it is for me because you don't want to think about people you know and your loved ones, your parents, your grandparents getting getting older. Uh, but inevitably, it happens to all of us. So we kind of have to eventually get comfortable or at least prepared with the idea of having to deal with it at some point in time in our lives. And that's just the way life goes. But um, yeah, I thought it would be uh, after hearing some uh, recent stories about some of my friends and what they've had to deal with uh, in the past and even recent times with their parents, I thought this was a podcast worthy of having talking about the safety of the elderly and the aging. So uh, before we get too much further along into the stories and the safety tips I want to try to provide here for you today relative to those people in your life that may be getting up there in years. Uh, I want to give a big shout out and a thank you to um, three or four of my friends for helping me during I, I interviewed them and talked about their specific circumstances and things they've gone through or considerations they've given and I think it was a lot of great information that I hope to share with you here today that I plan on sharing with you here today. So I want to give a big thank you to Tony, Dennis, and Sheila, Andy, and another Dennis in the mix uh, with us too. Yes, we have two friends, Dennis, um, named Dennis. Anyway, um, you know, there was one story that really – inspired me to do this podcast talking about safety and security of those that are in our lives that are aging and um, may already be elderly and needing some care or getting close to that time and uh, my buddy uh, this is kind of a sad crazy unbelievable story and you know truth is sometimes stranger than fiction but Um, The story that inspired me to do this, uh, and I'm going to kind of chop this up and cliff note it, but basically uh, a number of weeks ago, probably two or three months ago now, my buddy uh, was somewhere family gathering in um, a public place they were, and his mom wound up somehow losing her balance or tripping on a couple of stairs that she was, I think, going down and wound up taking a fairly significant spill on her head and face scraped up her face and uh, took a wallop on the head but you know she seemed fine they got her up and they did they elected not to go to the hospital or take her to the emergency room and got her home well a couple of few days later whatever time went by they noticed she was having some cognitive issues including i think one of the things that they picked up on pretty quickly is that she couldn't sign her name So they were concerned and rightfully so. So they took her to the emergency room and turned out she had swelling of the brain and it was very apparent that it was directly contributed to the fall that she had taken, the spill that she had taken a few days earlier. So she was rushed in to have emergency brain surgery where they could relieve some of that pressure for her. So nasty spill, just kind of out of nowhere. And then as she's been going through the recovery process, she's spent quite a bit of time in the hospital. She's actually had to have a couple of additional surgeries since that first one because she's had additional swelling and other issues going on. And while she's in the hospital, um, she was deemed, both her and his dad um, were deemed high risk, meaning high risk for falls. And she specifically needed to be put under 24-hour watch, 24-hour care. So the hospital had care providers coming in, watchers, keepers, care providers, come into the hospital room where she was as she was doing her physical therapy and whatnot, looking after her in eight-hour shifts, three eight-hour shifts per day. One of her caregivers just up and left at the end of their shift. Um, I don't remember what time of day it was. It doesn't really matter, but... This caregiver, their shift came, their shift ended, and they just got up and left the room and left my buddy's mom in the room alone, whereas she should have been waiting for the next person to come in and be relieved. But the end of their shift came, and they got up and left. Well, his mom, you know, she had to get up and go to the bathroom, so she got up out of bed and somehow slipped and fall or lost her balance, 
lost her equilibrium, whatever it was, and, and slipped and fell in her hospital room and wound up fracturing her arm. So, you know, two falls in a very short period of time, different places, different things going on, but then it gets better. One of the caregivers that were looking after him uh, wound up taking the American Express card out of her purse and ringing up or trying to ring up a bunch of charges on it. They tried to uh, ring up uh, their monthly rent. I think it was their car insurance and groceries, and they did it all in the same day or pretty much back to back how they thought they could get away with that. Who knows? Of course, they say the common criminal isn't all that smart. But anyway, American Express doing what they do. They caught on to something was up. Didn't seem like the normal types of charges that his mom would be making and flagged it in and make a long story short, you know, the police got involved and she was arrested. But imagine the hassle and the frustration you might experience. You know, your mom's fallen twice. They've had brain surgery a couple of times and, um, you know, she's hurt. And on top of that, to make things worse, now you've got one of her care providers basically stealing from her. And I can imagine for the company that's providing those caregivers in the hospital, they've probably got some explaining to do. And uh, there might be some issues there as well. So, you know, wow, overwhelming. You know, you just can't think these things could happen. And, and truth truly is stranger than fiction at times. So, that story alone kind of inspired me to set off this podcast of safety for the elderly and aging. So um, I wanted to start there, but I want to tell some other stories that my other buddies shared with me because they all have a theme. And today you'll, you'll hear a couple of important themes. So uh, one of my friends, longtime friends I've known since uh, like 10th grade, 10th grade in high school, his mom had been battling with RA, rheumatoid arthritis, for a long time, a uh, number of years, even before he and I met. But anyway, it, you know, she was getting up in years, and um, she was in the bathroom, coming out of the bathroom one day, and w- transitioning between the bathroom and the master bedroom. And even though she was using her walker and had her walker, she wound up falling and fracturing her leg in her bedroom and subsequently wound up bedridden Uh, she was already you know mobily struggling with the ra but wound up bedridden and then spent the next 18 months in bed with her fractured leg and then ultimately uh, she passed and left us at the end of that 18 months but she had a massive fall and uh my other buddy um his stepfather back up in Ohio came home from wherever he'd been. He'd been out driving, got out of the car. The story goes felt lightheaded and wound up passing out in the driveway, falling in the driveway and I guess hitting himself in the head, lying in the driveway for approximately an hour before waking up and just going in the house. Well, the family knew nothing about this occurrence until long after the fact, like a week after the fact, his stepdad finally told him and whatever else. And then at one point in time, his mom had fallen in the bathroom and hit her head on the toilet. And wow, how fortunate um, she was. So, you know, there's tons of stories of falls like this and more. Um, It's something that's uh, falls are the, top it may not be the top but they're near the top of causes of injuries in the elderly and aging i think they say you should really start looking for falls and paying attention to things around 65 north of 65 or so two or three people i know all have similar experiences and can talk firsthand to that and so um you know and it 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 makes sense like the statistics we'll talk about here in a minute makes sense because the population is aging overall and i don't think it's just here in the u.s but worldwide the population in general is aging and so you know falls are the number one or top to close to being the top cause of injuries for the aging and the elderly, you know, it stands to reason. But, you know, after hearing these stories from my friends, I went out and did a tiny bit of research and uh, came across the CDC. I found the CDC's information indirectly through another source. 
But I thought these stats were interesting, uh, and you can go and look at the CDC's website and see these for yourself. But um, over 800,000 patients a year are hospitalized because of a fall injury, and these are most uh, mostly due to head and hip uh, head injury or a hip fracture. And uh, to talk about hip fractures specifically, every year at least 300,000 older people are hospitalized for hip fractures. And generally, hip fractures occur when they fall over onto their sides, as you might kind of expect. But, you know, you can experience uh, leg fractures like my friend's mom did, arm fractures, wrist fractures, ankle fractures. Uh, and hip fractures. And so hip and head are really uh, big, uh, big issues to deal with with falls. But I also thought that this was interesting. So the CDC says between the years of 2007 and 2016, that fall death rates have increased by 30%. Wow. Between 20, uh, sorry, between 2007 and 2016, fall death rates in the U.S., has increased by 30%. And again, you know, you kind of expect that if the population's aging, this is what's to come, right? This is what we're going to be faced with. But anyway, if they they say that if the rates continue on the trend, which they have been for those years, not even a 10-year span, that that means by the year 2030, there could be seven fall deaths every hour in the U.S. Seven fall deaths every hour by the year 2030 and again it kind of makes sense but wow those statistics are scary and the one fact supposedly fact that i learned that i didn't realize is they say that after your first fall your chances of falling again double let me say that again after your first fall and again they're monitoring you know people 65 and above after your first fall your chances of falling double so, you know, falling for the aging uh, elderly group is a serious issue and is the cause of a lot of hospitalization and injury. And so, uh, you know, going back to what happened to my friend's mom, you know, you can't just depend on equipment and gear to prevent falls. Yes, you would think it would be less likely. Like, for example, if you're using a walker to get around you would think that that would help stabilize and support you. And maybe more times than not, it does. But in her case, she fell with a walker and still with a walker managed to fracture her leg. So, you know, the point there being is you just can't buy some equipment and expect that to fix things. For my friend's mom, it happened between the bathroom and master bedroom. And I I don't know that I would label that as a transition space, but a lot of times falls do occur in what they refer to as transition spaces. So examples of transition space uh, might be getting out of the shower or bathtub. You know, if they're getting out of the shower, that bathtub or the floor can be slippery. Uh, They've got to get out and get to their walker or get back into their wheelchair. Uh, Getting on or off the toilet is a transition space. Uh, as I just mentioned, uh, getting in and out, getting in and out of a wheelchair, uh, considered a transpa- uh, transition space as is getting in and out of bed. So those are places, the shower, the wheelchair, the bed, the toilet. Those are examples of transition spaces where we really want to do some extra work to reduce the opportunities for falls to occur. So for example, a couple of my buddies wound up having to put railing in and that's fairly common, right? So one buddy, he put in railing in their house because he elected to take care of his mother in house and in her home with her husband. So they wound up installing railing in the shower and around the toilet in their house. My other buddy installed railing, But it was in an independent care home that he had moved his parents into, but he knew that they needed the support to help hold themselves up and to help reduce the chances of falls. But he made a really good point that independent care, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the different options there are, but independent care does not necessarily have all those safety amenities in place, and you may wind up having to put them in place yourself. So he put a railing with suction cups up in the shower and around the toilet in the first independent care 
facility they lived in. Uh, another thing that you want to look for is uh, reducing. And look, you can go out there on search on the interwebs for things you should do or change in all the major rooms in a house. I'm just covering a few here that I think are key. Uh, but putting up railings, one, uh, my buddy had to widen the doors in his home in their house for his mom to get through in the wheelchair. So that may be a very real possibility. Now, obviously, you can't cut up an, an independent or assisted living care homes doors. But at home, when you're living there, uh, certainly an option and most likely a have to, especially if you have a loved one in a wheelchair or even in a walker. You know, it's hard to squeeze through standard size uh, doors sometimes, especially if you're in a wheelchair. Um, the other thing my buddy did uh, for his dad when his dad became uh, ill, ill uh, and he also wound up staying home with him in his uh, – last days is um moving things close to them so um you know it's easier for them to reach out and get it etc but relative to falls uh the other thing to consider which i don't know that a lot of people think about i certainly didn't um is shoes and socks it's really important to have proper fitting and comfortable socks and more important to have a good fit comfortable sturdy um you know, supportive pair of shoes uh, as we get older. A lot of people don't think about shoes because they're like, well, I've already got shoes or I've got these really great looking, comfortable shoes from the 60s or something like that. The reality of it is, is that over time and as shoes break in and wear out, uh, they lose their fit, their proper fit. They may be super comfortable because you've spent so much time in them, wearing them around, walking or running around them. But the reality of it is they can wear out fit wise and they can lose their strength and stability support, uh, their support capabilities as well. So shoes is something you definitely want to go through and look to probably buy some new. And I won't go into all the different shoes that are out there. There's lots of recommendations and reviews online, if you can imagine, as you can imagine. Uh, but what I will tell you is when you're looking at new shoes, fit and comfort's up there, but so is stability and, and sturdiness, right? A well-built pair of shoes that supports you properly because a good pair of shoes and a good pair of shoes that fits properly really can help with balance and stabilization. Uh, the other things that you want to look for is a non-skid uh, a non-skid sole, uh, ideally, so you don't slip and slide. And the um, last item is that you want to find a low to no heel shoe. Obviously, the higher your heels jacked up in the air, the potential for loss of balance or loss of stability increases. So something with a low or no heel is ideal. But that fit to help with the balance and stability is really key and can help really make an impact on uh lessening the opportunities for falls to occur i also want to mention and i know i said that you could go out on the interwebs and learn all types of things you should look to do or consider doing in the main rooms in the house uh, but um, one of the things i did want to mention here is trip hazards and being sure that the floor is free of objects that might cause trips uh for example uh children's toys being left around the floor is not good for anyone especially those uh getting on up in age where fall is more of a concern so keeping the floor clear of children's toys uh by that same standard dog toys being out you know a lot of these things that are around us all the time we don't really think about you know because um, we don't see them anymore but when it comes to helping alleviate the potential for falls you know getting some of these trip hazards out of the way is key and so you know, maybe things like step, uh, step stools that are left out on the floor or making sure the ottomans push back in, whatever it is to help um, uh, cut down on the chances for there to be a trip and fall. And, you know, uh, a lot of folks probably aren't going to like this, but you may need to consider picking up uh, uh, sections of carpets or rugs, too, because we all know how easy it is to get a toe uh, caught under the edge of a rug and um, potentially take a, a stumble. So those are some, just some thoughts there on eliminating uh, trip hazards. The last thing that I want to talk about, which a lot of people don't want to do, is exercise. There's a lot of things we can do for ourselves as we age. And one of those things is exercise. It's no less important than a good nutrition and good sleep. 
exercise is so key. And for those that are getting up there in ages or those that are elderly and not moving like they once did, it's important we still try to have them do exercises or that they see the importance of that and take that initiative on themselves. And we can focus on balance and stability. You know, so oftentimes, even if we had a lifestyle of working out and going to the gym, you know, sometimes we haven't spent as much time on our balance and stability muscles, stabilizing muscles as we maybe should have. You know, guys are infamous for going to the gym and being willing and capable of slinging around a lot of weight, but they neglect or skip over or ignore some of those foundational core, dare I say, core pieces, core included, that help with balance and stability. And the stronger you make those muscles when you're younger, you're better set up for the future and reducing those falls. So having your aging loved ones or people that you know that are hitting those times in their life do some exercises for balance is really a great idea. And so one example, and you know, it's great because there's progression and regression available. So, you know, if someone's just starting out, maybe doesn't have a history of being healthy or isn't super strong, you can grab a chair, perfect, uh, obviously not one with wheels or casters, but one with four legs that the individual can grab with ideally one hand, two if they absolutely have to, but ideally one hand. And then all they do is take alternate, alternate between lifting one foot off the ground and standing there for a minute or two and then switching with the other. And the idea is to start working on those stabilization muscles and get them better able to balance on their own and the only way to do that is to strengthen those muscles directly responsible for helping with stabilization and balance and then you know if you progress over time you're doing good you got your times up with the chair stop holding on to the chair just lift one leg up off the ground and stand there and then the other and then increase the time you do that over time and so that's just one example Uh, that again allows for progression and regression of the exercise. But those are the sorts of things that we need to be thinking about as we get up in age and something that you need to be helping your loved ones or have the opportunity to help your loved ones with. And as a buddy of mine pointed out, you know, exercise isn't fun for everybody, myself included sometimes. Um, And so getting them motivated, getting them disciplined to think about their, uh, both their short-term gain and their long-term benefit. Um, You know, sometimes hiring a a physical therapist or an occupational therapist and having them come in and, you know, quote-unquote forcing them to do these things that they may not otherwise do for themselves. You know, sometimes, like businesses, you know, sometimes a business will pay more attention and listen to a consultant that they've paid to have come in versus their own employees that are paid to do what they do, right? It's no different with a family situation. You know, sometimes people have a tendency to listen to someone that's outside their normal fold better than they do people in their family or friends. I don't know why that is, but uh, having and and bringing having a paying for whatever a physical therapist or an occupational uh health therapists can really help uh, drive your parents or drive those in your life that you're looking after to do things they wouldn't otherwise do or do things that you yourself is have encouraged or asked or begged them to do. So that's just some food for thought. You know, one of the things we have to deal with as we get up in age likely is medication, right? Prescriptions, a million pills a day and you know, when you're taking care of someone, how do you ensure they're taking what they're supposed to? How do you ensure they're taking uh, it on time? They're not mixing it with things they can't. So just some tips my friends kind of gave me uh, on the subject of prescriptions. One of my buddies actually lays out his parents' pills in the little weekly, uh, daily little boxes with the flip tops that's got the letter of the day of the week on them. He lays all of that out. And then he actually uses technology to help his parents remember when to take their medication. He uses, uh, not to name drop here, but he uses Amazon Alexa. And he'll have Alexa come on and, 
mention one of his parents' names and say, hey, it's time to take medication. And that helps remind them when they need to be taking it. Of course, they still skip and still forget from time to time. But, you know, with my buddy not being there all the time, that's his way of trying to do his best to ensure his parents are doing what they can when it comes to medication. Another point that was made by another buddy of mine, which I thought was fantastic, is that when you have friends and family visit with your ailing uh, person in your life or the person you're trying to take care of, you know, one of the things you want to be sure that they don't do when they come over to visit, whether it's in a home or at the person's home, is you don't want them uh, giving them medication meds that seem harmless enough, but because they don't know their prescription history and what all they're taking and what all the interactions could possibly be. Uh, for example, let's say they had some friends and family come to visit and the person in question uh, indicates they have a really bad headache or something's wrong with them, right? And the friend or family goes to offer them ibuprofen or whatever it is, right? They may not want to do that because they don't know, we don't know how ibuprofen interacts or could interact uh, in a negative fashion with all the prescriptions they're already on. So, you know, it's important that you set those boundaries uh, with visitors, essentially, at the end of the day. And that holds true for their dietary considerations, their nutrition uh, considerations, too. You know, it's hard, we all know it's hard to eat what we're supposed to, especially if you feel like you've been denied, you know, uh, your sweet tooth or whatever for extended period of time. They may ask friend, friends and family members to sneak in something, and it's important that you have these conversations so you're mitigating the, you know, the chances of something being, a, a, you know, whether it's a bad uh, pr prescription uh, interaction, you know, a medication issue or a nutrition issue, you or whoever the caregiver is, is making sure they're staying on top of these things as best as they can. And that means having conversations with family and friends and visitors that come in. So I want to talk about security in the home. And if you haven't been listening to us before, we have a podcast on uh, security in and around the house that I highly recommend you go listen to. Um, so I'm not going to talk about all of those aspects, but if you have a family member or a loved one, whoever it is that you're looking to take care of or have taken care of, if they're still home living in their original home, uh, they need to be following some of these security pieces of advice and procedures that we have. They need to make sure their mail and newspapers are brought in. They need to have their yard cared for. So doing those things makes the house look occupied and like someone's active and, you know, keeping up with the place. There needs to be good interior and especially exterior lighting like we've talked about motion or heat sensing uh uh, flood lamps over the uh, driveway and garage, just as one example, maybe uh, a motion uh, detection light in the carport. If uh, you have family members still living with a house with a carport, you know, those basic sorts of things, three inch screws in the door facing a security system. If they don't have one, perhaps t uh, lamps on timers in the house, which you can do through smart homes that are relatively inexpensive and easy to set up these days. You know, all these sorts of typical things we do for our house, we still want to ensure that these people that we're taking care of or looking to take care of have done for themselves. And if not, we probably want to spend a little bit of time and money uh, taking care of those things for them. Once you move into independent or assisted living or hospices, then you're kind of at the mercy of where you live. And then it's just important that you follow safe protocols. They follow safe protocols for themselves. So there's likely going to be locks on the doors. There may or may not be security systems in place. There may even be uh, call buttons to get the nurse to come uh, in assisted living as one example. You know, typically you'll see those near the bed or near where a bed would be in the bedroom. You know, those sorts of things are uh, more of the physical property aspects are generally going to be addressed in a home, uh, whether it's being, you know, the front door being locked, except when you buzz yourself in or have a security code, those sorts of things. There are still some things that they can do for themselves to ensure their safety as best they can. 
you know, paying attention to their surroundings, making sure they know who's at the door when they're knocking, those sorts of things. But security is still important, whether they're at home or in a home. So just a couple of additional uh, security safety issues that are near and dear to my heart is, um, you know, making sure your parents or your loved ones that are getting up in age understand the importance of keeping their doors and windows locked. It's really a uh, best idea to make sure they understand the importance of that and and to you know kind of go along behind them when you feel like when you're around and when you feel like you should go around and make sure those windows locked and and remind them give them those gentle reminders that they need to keep their doors locked even when they're in a home somewhere uh, assisted living or retirement home uh, keeping doors and windows locked is always the best policy Another item uh, which may or may not apply, but just wanted to point it out here, is this is a good time to consider gun ownership. And if if you've got someone that's really up there in age, you know, you have to make the decision possibly for them, is it really a good idea for them to have a gun around anymore? Um, You know, or is the likelihood of them getting hurt or injuring themselves trying to, you know, protect the home or whatever, greater than the actual reality of them being able to defend themselves. So certainly, um, like any other time, it's a good time to make sure that any firearms that are around are locked away and secured properly. And then, you know, you may even have to make the decision at some point whether or not you remove them from the premises. Or maybe in the case of moving into a home, maybe that's policy and you've got to anyway. But certainly something uh, to consider there. So one of the things that I want to touch upon, and it's not a pleasant topic at all, uh, it's nothing that any of us want to have to deal with or think about or can conceive that could happen to our elderly. You know, it's much like infants and small children. The elderly are in a similar category in my mind, and they need our care and they need to be provided for. And just the fact that people could abuse that group of people, like I said, similar to children is beyond me. And it's something that I take very seriously. But, you know, when we have those that we're looking after that are getting on up there in age, if we have to put them in a home and take them away from their home, there are some things that we're responsible for making sure uh, are in line and not out of order, if you know what I mean. And so, you know, there's some unpleasant terminology that might come into play uh, if your loved ones are the people that you're charged with taking care of either directly or indirectly uh, are moved into some sort of home whether it's a retirement home assisted living hospice whatever here's some unpleasant terms that may come about exploitation abuse neglect infliction of pain cruelty threaten or intimidation it's horrible to have to think about things like that but you know in ensuring those that we're looking after's safety we need to be aware of what some of those things may look like and you know it's not necessarily the caregiver it could be family members too it can be i just heard uh read a story recently about uh the family caregivers were uh, yelling and beating their father for not turning over what little bit of paycheck he gets from the government or whatever else to them. There are uh, some, uh, I won't say telltale signs, but there are some things that should get your attention. Uh, it could be something as simple as untrimmed toenails or fingernails, dirty toenails or fingernails, uh, soiled clothing where it's apparent that either they haven't been changed or haven't been taken to the bathroom like they should have. Um, it could be bed sores. Bed sores of, are a good sign that you aren't moving around much and haven't been turned over much. You know, there's some things like that. And then, like I said, there's some, you know, non-physical uh, circumstances and situations that may come about. Like I said, the example I read recently of the paycheck um, incident and you know finances can be a sore spot for anyone so 
just know it's the horrible side of having um, those that you're looking in on taken care of and not necessarily at home or taken care of by you. Um, it's just part of the rigor that we have to make sure that they're being taken care of and that they are as safe as possible. So I wanted to touch upon that as unpleasant it is as it is. So if you suspect that there's abuse of any type going on when it comes to someone that's elderly, uh, there's a few uh, places that you have to turn. Um, and it doesn't even have necessarily have to be when they're in a home, right? But uh, just a few resources, and, and all of these are going to be at your state or local level. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Adult Protective Services, um, Georgia has that at the state level as well as the healthcare uh, facility regulations. So if you suspect abuse, neglect, exploitation, uh, whatever it is, any number of those uh, nasty words we talked about earlier, uh, you have the adult protective services and the healthcare facility regulation. And that's generally, I think, at the state level. But worse comes to worse, you can also call your local police. Uh, again, uh, 911 should be reserved for uh, true life-threatening emergencies, but uh, all local police have a, a normal number that you can call, and, and you totally should. If you're suspicious of abuse of any sort, uh, those three uh, resources are there for you so you're not alone. You know, a lot of these things we're talking about in context of perhaps still being in their home uh, versus in a home, being moved to a home. Um, the difference being is one's the home that they've lived in for however long they have, and maybe they don't want to go. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe they're just attached to the home and they see themselves living out their days in their home, and that's fine. You just have to be prepared to support and take care of them there. So there's some options around that. You know, one is staying in their home and then having caregivers come as needed. Uh, my, my buddy had social workers and nurses in and out of the house all the time when he was taking care of his mom and dad and um, had an in-home in uh, nurse uh, take care of the dialysis for his mom there uh, towards the end. So there's going to be a lot of foot traffic in and out of there. Those are the sorts of things you want to be prepared for. But them staying in their own home is an option. You moving in with them at their home is an option. Having them move in with you is an option, but you know, as one of my friends pointed out, as great as that is to be close and present uh, and involved, uh, you know, it's it's a big stress potentially. If you still have a full time job, you're a working family, uh, your house isn't outfitted to support the disabled, for example, your doors aren't widened, you don't have railing everywhere, you haven't built any ramps out front of the stairs, you know, there's a lot of considerations to, to have and make, decisions to make if you decide to have an elderly person move in with you in your home. Uh, there's also the independent living option or the retirement home, the typical retirement home where they're there to live their life. They've just decided to down, downsize or, you know, be closer with people. So if something does happen, they're right there. Of course, there's the assisted living option, which means you've got people coming in of different sorts, taking care of you and looking in after you for different reasons at different times throughout the day and night. There's hospice care, which we know is when treatment just isn't viable anymore and it's going to be towards the end of time for those individuals uh, and then there's palliative care where treatment is still an option but they're needing to have pain uh, managed or physical uh, therapy while they're going through the rest of their treatment there's all sorts of options in in those uh, in, in these situations and, you know, your circumstances may change based on what you choose and what's right for th those you're looking after. Uh, let's talk about scams and fraud. Scams and fraud does not discriminate. Um, you know, a lot of things they say the elderly need to be concerned with at the end of the day, we all need to be concerned with them, but Potentially, as we get older, uh, you know, not everybody that's older is technology savvy. Um, my parents, for example, have no problem getting on a computer, a tablet or a smartphone, but a lot of lot of folks aren't that comfortable. 
Um, and, and whether they're technology savvy, you actively using technology or not, they need to be aware of some scams, um, going on out there. So anything that involves wiring of money, uh, you need to be investigating and making sure it's legit. Anytime they're asked to wire money or anytime they think that wiring money is an option, they really need to be careful. And that's, um, IRS imposters. Uh, you could get a false story of an arrested relative that's in jail and they need money immediately for their bail or whatever it is. Uh, sweepstakes is another one where uh, you're told that you've won a sweepstake, but you got to pay some sort of money to get your award. That's completely bogus. You either won money or you didn't. And then the last one, uh, well, it's not last one. This is just a few of the top ones that you deal with when it comes to potentially wiring money is tech support. Let's say you happen to be on your computer and you get some email or text saying, hey, we noticed something's out of date on your machine or likely out of date or we've detected a problem with your computer. You need to send us money so we'll fix it. Otherwise, whatever. And so anytime people that you're caring for have been asked to wire money or they're uh, thinking that wiring money is the fastest, easiest way to do it. You probably want to get involved and check them out. Uh, some other scams to look for have to do probably more with being still being in their home, uh, being in a home. You typically would not have to worry about these, but there's some, there's some groups out there looking for, you know, offering bogus car repairs, out in the parking lots or whatever it is, uh, paving, you know, doing a pay, some kind of paving deal in your driveway, tree removal and roof repair. Not saying that scams are always going on with those four areas, but there are groups, gypsy groups and like that go around. And, you know, unfortunately, the elderly is a group that is preyed upon. So these are just some things to look for. And last but not least, you know, and I'm just going to say this as a sidebar note, um, if you don't have a living will or if the people that you're looking on in on and taking care of don't have a living will or a will, I highly recommend that. It's about peace of mind and it's about making sure their wishes are carried out and it's about making sure that their things that they've worked hard for, including their money, isn't tied up somewhere in probate uh, indefinitely. But the other thing that you you may have to deal with that there's the opportunity for fraud both from you know uh, the entities that set up the power of attorney as well as even family members you can have issues with. I'm amazed over time how often I hear about family members squabbling over the final decisions made in the will or even the living will. But the power of attorney can be important for some folks. And what the power of attorney is, it's it's a document that assigns either one person or a group or an entity the ability and they call that once they get assigned once the the individual or a group is assigned it's called they're called an agent but it's basically a document uh, establishing who an agent is either an individual or a group that will take care of and make decisions when the person in care is no longer capable of making those sorts of decisions. And, and, and where this really is important is uh, finances, right? And so as you can imagine, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for there to be fraud around a power of attorney. So you know, some one of the biggest uh, pieces of advice that I've read about and that I could give you here is make sure you have it executed by a third party and not just do it yourself or some fly by night operation. And, you know, if you suspect fraud when it comes to power of attorney or anything else, uh, of course, you can always call the police and that's not a 911 matter, but you can call your local police and there's also uh, likely at your state level, you can look to call, contact the adult protective services. So those are two options as if you suspect any kind of fraud at all. You know, going back to the scams that you might see uh, either on email, text or phone. 
if I don't know who it is or if I'm not expecting anything, I don't answer. And that includes my front door, right? That's just my own personal safety policy. If I get emails or texts from entities that I don't know or I'm not expecting or that look funny to me, I don't click on them or contact them right back or respond to them. I delete them. If it's something that I questioning that I'm not 100% sure of, the best course of action is one, ignore the original contact and just to reach out directly to the individual or the entity that's making the request. Don't use the phone numbers or the links that are provided in the emails or texts, for example. Hang up, delete it, whatever, and call the entity directly yourself and ask them, hey, did you send this by chance? It kind of looked fishy, so I wasn't sure, and I wanted to call to double check. Uh, You can avoid a lot of trouble, and your loved ones can avoid a lot of trouble if they just impart those philosophies for themselves. You know, two stories. One of my buddies, when he was taking care of his parents, he said their mailbox just blew up with junk mail. And it was basically full of brochures and letters around durable medical equipment. And I was like, man, how did you deal with all that? How did you get through all that? How did you deal with the volume? And he's like, well, most of it we didn't have to deal with. We just threw it away. But I was like, well, what happens if you were looking for something? Did, did any of those mailings like initiate your interest? And he's like, yeah. But he's like, we generally went by word of mouth and, and asked our uh, primary physician his opinion on things. He's like, so, you know, it's not like we took everything that was in the mail and acted upon what we thought we should act upon. We asked around and uh, getting input from the primary physician was a great idea as well as any way you can talk to other family members that have had to go through similar and what their experiences were and what equipment companies or in-home care companies, whatever it is, that's probably a better way of sourcing than just going through whatever junk mail or uh, junk email that's being sent your way. Another thing uh, my other buddy did is that uh, phone calls and text increased to his parents when he got them into the home or at least they have increased since they've been put into a home. And he said that his stepdad will talk to these guys that call him, but the moment that he feels uncomfortable with them or they ask him a question that he doesn't feel comfortable answering over the phone, like, hey, can you send us a check? Or, hey, what's your social security number? My buddy taught his stepdad to say, when he feels uncertain, to say, you'll have to talk to my son about that. And he says that's dropped more phone calls than he can shake a stick at. So that's always an option. So you want to teach the people that you're looking in on or taking care of that, you know, things that they're not sure of, things that their intuition tells them not to get involved with. That's basically the best approach. Delete all of that stuff and anything you think you need to follow up on call those companies or those individual directions and say, Hey, I got this through the mail or, Hey, I got this text. Did you send this? If not, I want to let you know, this is what's going on. And that's an easy way to save yourself a lot of hassle for sure. You know, normally I wouldn't have to talk about this. At least it wouldn't pop. I wouldn't even think for it to pop up into my mind as we talk through these things when we're taking care of those that are aging in our life. But you know, COVID-19 has brought about a couple of things that we wouldn't normally have to talk about. But as we've heard, and I'm going to assume for the sake of this conversation, that it's true, at least, uh, no matter how severe you think this overall pandemic is, I think there is a genuine concern that the elderly stand a uh, greater chance of being negatively impacted by this flu type disease, whatever it is. Right. And so I would say just to point out a couple of safety uh, tips here. um, One is do your best, especially if there's the possibility of you or someone, you know, that has possibly been exposed, do your best to stay away from the elderly and the older population. Uh, They are a high risk group. And the best thing that you can do is stay away from them when you think you've uh, been exposed or when you think the activities that you participate in could bring a greater chance of exposure to them. 
And the other side of that coin is to encourage them to do the right things and say what you will about mask. I have my opinion, but you know, if that means encouraging them to wear their mask, if they're going to leave the house, then do that. Uh, you can also, like I did with my parents, encourage them to use grocery delivery services. And there's a couple of those out there. You know, you can have meals delivered. Uh, there's a couple of large entities doing that, right? There's all kinds of things that we could do with this COVID-19 that we otherwise would would not have to consider or take into account but i think it bears work i think it's worth mentioning especially now and especially in the spirit of safety of the elderly and the aging right uh with that there are some scams evidently that have come out related to uh covid19 uh just for your edification the ftc uh provides some further information on the types of scams that have been uh, seemingly focused or come about with COVID-19 and the pandemic. Uh, you can discover that at, uh, you can read more about those at the FTC.gov, FTC.gov. Um, but basically it's around being smart again. And, you know, I could argue with a couple of exceptions that most of the scams mentioned in context of COVID-19 are scams that I should be looking out for anyway, like, uh, should I expect just to randomly receive emails from the CDC or the World Health Organization? Likely not. And again, if I'm not sure, I can always delete that email or those texts or hang up that phone call and call, look it up. Don't use the contact information sent in those texts and emails, but go look it up online or in the phone book, whatever they're comfortable with, and call them and ask and see. Uh, another big thing is donations, right? We've we've had some scams around the stimulus checks, um, s- some forms of donations. Like if you're asked to uh, donate to some causes, you want to research those causes, and they shouldn't send cash or gift cards or anything like that. And additionally, you want to avoid robocalls. If you don't get a live person on the other side of the phone, as soon as you pick up, uh, it's likely a robocall and you should just hang up. It's not legit. Most legit phone calls will not involve a robocaller. And the telltale signs are uh, what I've found twofold. One, there's generally some sort of pause at the beginning when you first answer the phone because the automated system is taking a minute to recognize the fact that the person on the other side has picked up the phone call. And then the other thing, while it may be a male or female voice, it sometimes it's not robotic, like a robotic voice, but you can tell it's pre-recorded. Uh, again, if you're not sure, don't answer the phone in the first place, but certainly look for those couple of indications that it is a robocaller and hang up. But if you want to learn more, I highly recommend taking a trip out to ftc.gov. You know, a common topic that comes up, too, in the in the context of taking care of the elderly and those that are getting on up there uh, in age is uh, driving. <laughs> and, you know, driving is wonderful because it allows us to get to where we're going, where we want to go. And it's a sense of independence. If nothing else, you hear it time and time again when it comes to the elderly is it's the independence. And, you know, a question that gets asked is, when do you know it's time to take away their keys? And I can't answer that. Um, That is going to be up to the individuals and the family members and whoever else to make that decision. But I can tell you whether it's it was my grandma whether it was my buddy's stepdad, um, whoever, uh, usually uh, there's a couple of ways to tell. One is, is that they're so physically disabled that they just cannot get in and out of the vehicle anymore. That's a pretty good indication. But the one that comes up in a common theme is when they start having wrecks and they start having wrecks regularly and they start having wrecks in search in circumstances situations that most people would not have wrecks in like they've had repetitive door dingers or whatever in the parking lot at the grocery store uh they've hit the back of the kids school bus more than once whatever it is I suspect after having two or three car accidents, vehicle accidents in some somewhat short period of time, 
that's going to be your indicator that taking away those keys and those car privileges is going to have to be a thing. And it's not going to be pleasant because it is one more one more bit of independence that they're having to surrender. And so, again, this is where some compassion and, and uh, empathy come into play. One more thing I just want to <clears throat> I, I want to touch upon because my buddy made a really good point when he said it. And, you know, it's it's no different for any of us. But he made the point that as you get up in age, th- four things remain important, if not become more important. One is exercise. One is nutrition. One is sleep. And one is socialization. And I don't want to deep dive into each of those, but hopefully you're understanding what I'm saying. It's really important to get proper exercise, work those balance of stabilization muscles. Nutrition is always important. Make sure they're not eating a bunch of bonbons and junk food. And more importantly, avoiding a lot of the processed food, which becomes quick and easy. Uh, You know, when you're home alone and, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, sleep is paramount, especially if you're on medication or if you've gone through radiation or chemo treatment, you're going to want to get extra rest. And then socialization, that goes a long ways. You know, if you make some good friends along the way, that's great. And that can contribute to a feeling of security and, and being safer at the end of the day. My buddy pointed out that anytime his parents meet new people and uh, there's new friends involved. He's always uh, a little suspicious at first and tries to meet them and try to figure out what kind of people they are. I would say he's got a great point in that relative to socializing and meeting new people and that it's no different than having new caretakers coming through the front door every day, right? You need to meet them. You need to see who they are. And uh, you need to make sure that they don't have nefarious uh, intent with whoever you're taking care of or looking in on. So there's a lot of stuff, right? And hopefully I've done a pretty decent job of covering some things and making you think about stuff you may not have previously. So I want to leave you on a few points, a few thoughts to end on. So my biggest takeaway um, is that in order to take care of those that need need taking care of, you need to be present and involved. And, you know, even if someone winds up in a home, whether it's independent care, uh, assisted living, hospice, whatever, you need to stay present and involved so you know what's going on and can get ahead of anything or be aware of anything that happens or goes on so you can uh, respond accordingly. And that's a really big takeaway. I remember when my buddy, he, I, I asked him what was the most critical thing, and he kept talking about being there, being there, being there. I was like, no, dude, we want to talk about security and safety. And he explained what he meant. And really, you can't ensure your people's safety unless you are somewhat present and somewhat involved. So if you take away anything, that's that's huge. Um, a couple of points that a couple of my friends made that I want to make here is remember to try and think about things from their perspective, from their angle. They might feel like that their independence is being taken away. They may feel the pressures of coming to the end, you know, whatever it might be. Try to spin, try to spin that lazy Susan, as I say, and understand uh, where they're coming from. And, you know, when you're interacting with them and especially when you're trying to make them uh, are trying to make decisions with them or trying to get th- get them to do things that they haven't been or wouldn't be doing otherwise. Remember that empathy and remember that you may need to compromise some too. One of the things my buddy from high school's father said towards his last days was enjoy life where, while you can. And I just want to say that here. I think that's a great lesson for anybody including myself. Enjoy life where it while you can. And with that, we'll wrap up podcast 30, Safety for the Elderly and Aging. I hope that you've gotten something from this. I hope that it's made you think about, you know, current situations you may have or situations in the future that you're going to need to deal with. 
it's not a pleasant thought it's not a pleasant topic to deal with but it's one that we've all got to deal with at some point in time so i hope you taken away something from this podcast uh if you like what you've heard i'd encourage you to go out to other listen to our other podcasts we've got out there i bet we've got something of interest for you if nothing else you should listen to security in and around the house and look if you like what you've heard here today go out and listen to our other podcast and then be sure to tell your friends and family about it we'd greatly appreciate it and leave us that thumbs up or that five-star review when they have the opportunity and again we appreciate you listening in today and thank you so much we'll talk to you soon